It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Faster my crazy day, my pack commute, all those unread emails in my inbox. But I'm getting stronger, faster, and pushing myself further every day. I don't care if I'm not like everyone else. This punching bag is the best way to end my day. Fearless is knowing yoga isn't your style. That's the power of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Federal Employee Program. Learn more about our healthy benefits at fepblue.org slash get more. You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's a brand new Locked On Vikings on the Locked On Podcast Network. Sam Ekstrom, Sage Rosenfels, the hosts as usual. We've got stats of the week. We've got Sage stories today. And we've got two more player evaluations for the Minnesota Vikings. Sage, how are we doing today? I'm doing great. Good morning, Sam. Morning to you. It's the middle of the week. Great games ahead of us, had some great games behind us, and now we're kind of at that stage where we pivot. In our case, with the Minnesota Vikings, we just keep grinding away at these player evaluations. And I think we've got a a good discussion here coming on Adam Thielen, the season he had, and what lies ahead in restricted free agency, which you don't see all that much in the NFL these days. First of all, with Thielen, just take a look back at the year he had, and we've talked about him at length, but... An awesome, awesome season for the Mankato, I should say Minnesota State Mankato product. People get mad around here when you say Mankato State. Um, I guess I can't fully relate. But Thielen with 967 yards, team leading. He had five touchdowns, was also effective on special teams. Great story, great guy. You hope he stays around in Minnesota for a long time. Yeah, I'm sure the Vikings want him back. He was very productive this year. You know, he's a guy that uh, he's just a very consistent player, uh, seems to run very good routes, catches the ball, seems to make the play that needs to be made. Uh, he's not fancy. It uh, doesn't seem like he's a guy that uh, makes spectacular plays, and, and he's not a guy who, you know, run after a catch, he doesn't catch a slant and, and take it 60 yards to the house. Uh, he is... Uh, everything you want, and what you, I mean, you call him a possession receiver if you want to. I mean, he, he makes plays down the field, but he's not a game breaker uh, t- type wide receiver. So my assumption is uh, the Vikings will want him back. They do need game breakers at wide receiver for sure. Uh, but if you want a consistent uh, player who can, you know, catch the balls thrown his way, run good routes, has a very very good rapport with the quarterbacks, uh, Adam Thielen's the guy you want back on your football team. Now, I'm going to push back ever so slightly on something you said. You said he doesn't make spectacular catches. I would argue that Adam Thielen this season was one of the more remarkable receivers in a couple different ways. I mean, if you want a guy along the sideline who's going to reach out and toe tap and bring it in, I mean, he's going to do that for you. He had a catch against Detroit where he had to kind of lunge back to the inside and and snatch it out of midair. He had a one-handed diving catch against Carolina. There was a touchdown against Arizona, too, where he had to toe tap next to the pylon. He, very under the radar, was pretty good at expanding his catch radius, hanging on along the sidelines, making contested grabs. He's a gritty type of player compared to someone maybe like Charles Johnson 
or Cordero Patterson, he's got a lot of toughness when he's in midair. He's good at boxing people out and just going after the football. Yeah, he's a good player. And uh, I, I recall going to the last game of the season, and you, you mentioned his stats. He had about what, nine, 964 receiving yards. I recall he just needed about 40 or 50 yards uh, to get over 1,000 yards on the season. Uh, so he was very close, I believe. Uh, and just didn't have much for a last game. Maybe had one catch for 10 yards or something like that. But um, it, it's not easy to, to run for 1,000 yards in the NFL. It's not easy to catch, uh, you know, balls to accumulate 1,000 yards as a wide receiver in the NFL either. So uh, we will see what happens with him. It's, it's, we'll, it, it, he'll be interesting as far as the way restricted free agency goes. Uh, this is the one time when you're an NFL player that it's best to be drafted really low. Uh, because of how restricted free agency works, uh, you know my guess is that the Vikings will not uh, tender him at the lowest level, in which a team basically would just have to offer him a, a contract uh, that's good enough for the Vikings to to not want. My guess is that the they will the Vikings would like to have some sort of compensation if a team offers him a really really big contract that they choose not to match. And so my my assumption is they'll make him uh, a second at least a second round tender uh, in restricted free agency. Yeah, let's just roll through what exactly restricted free agency is and what happens next. So maybe I'm being naive here. I feel like Adam Thielen, being a local Minnesota kid, he's probably going to maybe give the Vikings a little bit of leeway here in these negotiations. But basically, there are three levels of what they call a qualifying offer. There's the lowest level, which you mentioned, then there's the second round tender and the first round tender. I'm not sure the NFL has established what those numbers are exactly, but I think last year they were somewhere along the lines of 1.6, 2.6, and 3.5, something along those lines. So if the Vikings offer, the, let's say, the middle one, like you said, say it's, it's two-point something, in that case, then Thielen can accept that offer, and he can say, sure, I'll take it, I'll be with you for another year, and then next season he'd be unrestricted. Then the other way it goes is, he negotiates with other teams. They offer him a deal, and the Vikings can match that deal. Yeah, that's sort of how it works. I mean, the most interesting aspect is the you know, sort of the original tender, the, the, the tender, the lowest tender that is wherever you were drafted. And uh, you know, in my situation, I was a fourth round draft pick, and uh, and uh, you know, my tender at that time, yeah, I think you said it was one point about, about one point six million. That he would be paid as the you know as his regular low tender, you know, uh, play in, in this whole thing. Well, I was a fourth round pick, and I think at the time for me it was about six hundred thousand. It was a much lower tender, uh, obviously, than it is now, less than half uh, the size of of the lowest tender. So, uh, the, what, what, here's a, here's an example of what could happen. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers love him as a wide receiver, and they come in, they offer. Adam Thielen, I'm just going to throw out a number, uh, a four-year, $16 million contract at $4 million a year. They really like him. The Vikings have to decide whether they should match that contract or not. If they decide not to match the contract, if they decide to match the contract, they get, they get Adam Thielen back. They sort of have right of first refusal, in a sense, to match any contract. If they decide not to match the contract, Adam Thielen goes to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and the Vikings get no compensation in return because he was an undrafted free agent. If he was, say, a fourth-round draft pick like how I was, and Tampa Bay offers him the four-year $16 million deal, Vikings don't match, 
the Tampa Bay Buccaneers would have to, to uh, when they signed him, would have to send up to the Vikings a fourth-round draft pick because that's what I was drafted in. And therein lies sort of the difference and the importance in this situation. Uh, and it also actually gives them you know, a lot of leverage uh, because it, uh, it allows other teams to be a little bit more aggressive because all they have to give up is financial compensation for him as a restricted free agent. They really don't have to give up any sort of draft pick compensation. Uh, so, so that's, that's the, the lowest tender scenario. My guess is he'll be tendered uh, with, with his production, be tendered higher at something like a second-round draft pick. Uh, it'll cost the Vikings more. Would you say 2.6 million or something like that? Mm-hmm. Uh, but a team would have to also give up a second-round pick, uh, whatever contract they would offer him, to swoop in and get him. And I don't know if m- many teams will do that. And I'm thinking the good player, but I'm not sure if a team will give up a second-round pick for him at this stage in his mm-hmm. career. It seems like a great time to harken back to good old Steve Hutchinson, a guy you played with with the Minnesota Vikings, who was actually a first-round pick in the draft. But under the old CBA, things were different. What do you remember about the old poison pill saga? Well, I know it uh, decently well. Uh, I mean, it's funny. Uh, you know, Hutchinson really uh, takes pride in the fact that he worked this contract and got out of Seattle. I mean, his, his Twitter handle, I believe, is something like poisonpill76. Yeah. Uh, he takes a lot of pride in it. And uh, in that situation, the Vikings offered him a seven-year uh, $49 million contract uh, for, for his left guard position, which at the time was the highest priced, I think, guard center contract in NFL history, uh, $7 million a year. Uh, but, but as part of that contract, what they did was, um, and I think in that contract, let's just say, and I'm not sure the number here, $25 million was guaranteed. Let's just say half of it was, was guaranteed. But what they did is in that contract, they said, uh, but, and it was like an extra paragraph, but, uh, if uh, Steve Hutchinson plays more than three games uh, in the state of Washington uh, in, in any given season, the entire contract is guaranteed. So that, mean that, that meant that Seattle, um, of course, is going to play uh, at least three games every year, you know, more like probably eight games every year in the state of Washington, would have basically had to guarantee the entire contract. Uh, the, the Vikings really used... Uh, this this poison pill that uh, it was sort of frown I, I would say it was frowned upon at the time um, and, and no one would really have enough guts to actually go ahead and do something like that uh, and the Vikings went ahead and did it and uh, I'm not sure if they've changed the rules where you can't do that anymore uh, but it definitely was a unique situation sort of frowned upon around the league uh, but you know at the end of the day they they the Vikings did play by the rules they had the right to do that in the contract and. And obviously Seattle decided not to match the contract and Hutchinson left the Seahawks and came over and had a very, very nice career with the Vikings as well. I want to say that the Seahawks got the Vikings back by poison pilling Nate Burleson later on. Yes, yes, I think you're correct there. Yep. I think you were exactly correct. Yeah. And, I, and, I, and I think for the Vikings, they were okay with that. I think that they sort of got the Vikings back, but they also felt that uh, the Seahawks way overpaid for Burleson uh, in the contract that they offered him. What was Steve Hutchinson like in the locker room? That's a guy you spent some time with in Minnesota. Oh, Hutchinson is great because he's hands down the crabbiest player that I ever played with in my NFL history. I mean, the guy was in a sour mood all the time. He just sort of seemed like he was miserable. But you sort of like, you loved the fact that he sort of lived in his misery uh, of grumpiness. And you don't know why. I didn't know, you don't know why. 
uh, just sort of the way he was. Um, he was, uh, to be honest, he's a very, very smart guy, uh, funny guy, uh, good leader. I mean, the guy was tough. Uh, he was hardworking. Um, but, uh, you know, he was a bull uh, at that left at that left guard position. I, I never saw a guy. And I played with some great guards in my career. Uh, and when Hutch really needed needed to, you know, move somebody on on third and two or on fourth and one, I mean, he really was a road grader. Uh, he was a fantastic guard. He might be a Hall of Famer. Uh, I'm not really sure. I think he went to something like six or, or eight Pro Bowls in his, uh, you know, 12-year career, however long he played. Uh, he, he had a fantastic career, a uh, very, very good guard, uh, one of the better guards of the, you know, sort of early 2000s. And, uh, again, you know, may have a shot at the uh, even the Vikings' ring of honor. So, uh, you know, excellent player. Uh, you know, sort of, as I said, Mr. Grumpy. But, uh, you know, sometimes that's just the way, you know, good offensive linemen are. They all, they all have very unique personalities. Seven Pro Bowls, the official number on Hutchinson, every year between 2003 and 2009. Uh, we'll move on to the defensive side with our player evals. Chad Greenway, a guy that we've oded pretty thoroughly on this show, recently celebrated his 34th birthday. I think the main question around Greenway is, is he going to retire? And let's say the Vikings wanted to move on. Is Greenway going to have enough gumption to want to play elsewhere for a year? Do you think he has enough in the tank to help another team if that's something he really wanted to do? Yeah, first, I, I think, one, I don't think he wants to play uh, anymore. I'm not sure. I don't have the inside scoop on this. I mean, that, that is a decision that uh, I did not want to pester him with uh, once the season ended. I'm sure he's going to take time. You know, he's got four daughters who are, you know, the, the oldest ones are now getting more active uh, uh, in their sports. I know Chad loves to, you know, coach his daughter's soccer teams and be involved with the basketball teams and, and those types of things. If he so choose, chose to play, um, I do believe he has still got enough left in the tank uh, to be a, a valuable member of, of all 32 NFL teams. Uh, he's smart. Uh, he's tough. Uh, he plays in almost all the games every year. Even if he had to go back and play on special teams, uh, he could do it. Uh, he's a good football player. You know, is he a three-down, you know, Pro Bowl-type linebacker anymore? No, he's not that player. But, yeah, he's got enough left in the tank to help out NFL teams. I just don't think he's going to want to want to do that. Um, maybe he could stay in Minnesota, uh, but I just don't see him wanting to pick up his family, you know, move to – uh, another city, you know, get, get the kids out of their schools uh, for another, you know, million or, you know, maybe two million bucks. I mean, Chad has made a lot of money in his life. Uh, he's a, I grew up as a, in a small town, South Dakota kid as a farmer. I think he understands you don't need to, you know, squeeze every single penny out of your NFL career. He's made enough to, to live many lifetimes. And my guess is this will be the end of the road for Chad Greenway. I would second that. I think they went into the year with the Vikings and Greenway knowing that this was the swan song. One last shot to make a run at the Super Bowl with the new stadium, getting to open that up. A great team, high aspirations. Obviously, it didn't go as expected, but it seemed like Greenway was extremely at peace with the situation in his last press conference and pretty content with going out. Uh, he finishes his career, if it's the end, with 156 games played, 11 interceptions, scored two touchdowns, forced eight fumbles, 18 sacks, 760 tackles in what was basically a 10-year career, if you don't count that first year that he missed. That's another guy like Hutchinson who might be in the Vikings' ring of honor down the road. 
Yeah, and I actually see Chad, uh, even though he didn't have the, uh, you know, like the Pro Bowl stats and those type of thing of Hutchinson, uh, I see Chad, Ray as, uh, Chad Greenway as an absolute lock uh, for the Vikings ring of honor. You know, he spent his entire career uh, as a Minnesota Viking, the only team he played for, uh, you know, tons of production, you know, you know as you, you stated. And you just don't get players, you know, Steve Hutchinson, uh, I think will also be in the ring of honor. But, you know, Steve played for three NFL teams. Chad played for one. Uh, and not too many times in an organization do you get one player, uh, you know, play for 10-plus seasons uh, in your organization. So he will be in. Uh, hopefully I'll be at that game. And I'm looking forward to see uh, his name uh, up in the uh, – it was the rafters or along the second level or the third level, the fourth level, but uh, he will be in the Vikings ring of honor at some point. Is democracy in danger or decline? Condoleezza Rice, William Galston, and Carlos Gutierrez and others take on this question in the fall edition of The Catalyst, a journal of ideas from the Bush Institute. Surveys show Americans place less trust in institutions like the media and business. Others contend America has faced far more challenging periods and emerged strong. Leading policymakers, Bush Institute experts, and respected journalists take on this debate. Read about it at bushcenter.org slash catalyst. Locked on Vikings, Locked on Podcast Network. It's time for our Sage Story of the Day. Sage, it's your favorite part. Here's your prompt for the day. You just wrote about Aaron Rodgers making one of the greatest passes of all time in the playoff game against Dallas. Think back throughout your career. Maybe it was high school. Maybe it was college with the Cyclones. Maybe it was in the NFL. Can you recall your best pass in your career? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, there, there probably weren't too many that were that amazing. Um, you know, there was a probably one of the best passes in my career uh, that uh, I thought was going to be a game winner. Uh, I was the backup quarterback for the Houston Texans. I believe this was 2007. Um, and we're playing the Tennessee Titans. And we are getting smoked uh, in, in uh, you know, I think late in the third quarter. And I got thrown in the game. I, I think I got thrown in the game maybe mid Mid-third quarter, Matt Schaub got hurt. Uh, Albert Hainsworth landed on him and, and uh, maybe bruised a rib or, or something. And so I go in the game, and I believe we're down 35-3 to before we started scoring some points. Uh, and we slowly worked our way back, worked our way back. Um, I ended up throwing three. Well, I, I ended up throwing four touchdowns in the fourth quarter uh, of that game. But on the fourth one, there's about 50 seconds left in the game. And we took a shot deep down the field to Andre Davis, who was our fastest player. He was Michael Vick's speedy wide receiver out of Virginia Tech. And we had a double move on the safety. And to basically, you know, if you can buy enough time, uh, you're going to have a one-on-one with the safety if they were playing in a sort of a two-high safety defense. And I literally got the ball from center from the shotgun snap uh, just and looked around like it was a Hail Mary. I didn't look at the coverage uh, or the defense at all. I did exactly what you're not supposed to. I just stared at the pass rush and bought time in the pocket, sprinted my left, and threw it as far as I could uh, down the field. And sure enough, the safety misplayed the ball, and then Andre Davis caught it for what I thought was a game-winning touchdown, uh, which did not end up happening. Uh, we, we could not stop Kerry Collins defensively. He moved the ball down in about 30 seconds to, uh, say, our 20-yard line or something like that, and they kicked uh, uh, Rob Baronis, uh, rest in peace, uh, kicked his eighth field goal of the game, still an NFL record, uh, to beat us uh, on the final play of the game. 
I love the recall. That sounds uh, like a Farvian type pass there, buying the time and, and letting it loose. That's close to an Aaron Rodgers buy time in the pocket uh, you know, impersonation I probably ever did in my career. Uh, he probably could have thrown the ball 55 yards with his left hand into the end zone. <laughs> it took me all I had with my right arm uh, to get it to the distance from, I said, about midfield to, to the end zone. That's pretty great. That's Sage stories for the day. And we'll conclude this one with uh, two stats of the week. Sage, a little guessing game for you. Looking at the Vikings' final season stats. Got some obscure team leaders for you. Can you guess who the Minnesota Vikings' leader was in first down receptions? Uh, I was going to say either uh, Adam Phelan or Kyle Rudolph. I'm going to go with Kyle Rudolph. That is correct. Can you, can you guess the number of first down receptions? First down. Well, I'm going to assume. I don't know how many catches Rudolph had. I'm going to assume he had about. Uh, I'm going to assume Rudolph had about 65 or 70 catches. I don't know if you have that. I think he so had I'm about, say, about 80, uh, I'm actually. I'm going to say 30, 39 of them were first down catches. A little bit low. He actually had 50 first down receptions this year. Stefan Diggs came, came up second with 47. Adam Thielen had 44. So it was three guys doing most of the work there. And so so 50, 50 how many? 51? 50 first down catches. How, how many catches did he have on the entire year? I want to say, because he had 11 in the last game of the year, and I think that put him up over 80. I think Rudolph had a historically good year receiving the football. It was 83. I know that's an important stat for, for NFL teams for the tight end. It's not just how many catches they have. It's how many catches that are first down catches because you know, tight ends are, are one of those players. They're really a, a slot wide receiver uh, in the sense of a, of a defense is playing a too high shell uh, and doubling the outside receivers. Uh, they have one-on-one with uh, the Sam linebacker, the Mike linebacker, and a lot of those situations. So, uh, you know, on, on third and eight, a lot of times safeties will play that too high defense, which means either your slot guy uh, or your tight end is going to have a one-on-one route on an inside player. Uh, and then how many of those catches you know, went for first downs? Was it a third and eight and you caught it for four and only got one or two more yards? Uh, or did you, uh, you know, catch it for four and break a tackle and get a first down? So that's a really important stat for, for a tight end. How many catches, uh, what percentage of their catches actually go for first downs? Here's an easier one to end the show. I should have saved this. Uh, I should have saved the receiving one for last. Who had more rushing first downs? Uh, Matt Asiata. That is correct. Matt Asiata. A lot of those coming on third down because he gets all those short yardage carries. He had 28 rushing first downs. Jarek McKinnon had 21, and nobody else was remotely close. And I'm going to say a player, say like uh, you know Le'Veon Bell or one of those top backs in NFL may have had 50. Uh, rushing first downs on the season. Maybe that's something we can look up for next time. But I bet you those top backs uh, had almost twice as many first rushing first downs as the, as the Vikings leader, Matt Asiata. I, I'd be intrigued to look back to last year's stat book, but I bet Peterson last year probably had around 50. He was getting most of the carries, played all year. His team was actually successful in the run game. That was probably a way bigger number. Well, that is, that is going to be a stat uh, and or stats. The rushing game stats is going to be something that we talk about all year long uh, and, and into next year, into the preseason games. What do they do with the offensive line and free agency? What do they do with the offensive line slash running backs in the draft? What are they going to do with Adrian Peterson's contract? 
the rushing game for the Vikings, to me, is the number one story of the offseason. Sage, good show. Thanks for your contributions. We'll be previewing the championship games on Friday. Sounds good. Three games left in the season. They all should be good ones. Coming down to the wire. He's Sage Rosenfels at Sage Rosenfels 18. I'm Sam Ekstrom. Subscribe to the show on iTunes. Leave a rating or a review if you get anything out of the show. That would be great. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you tomorrow on Locked on Vikings. Is democracy in danger or decline? Condoleezza Rice, William Galston, and Carlos Gutierrez and others take on this question in the fall edition of The Catalyst, a journal of ideas from the Bush Institute. Surveys show Americans place less trust in institutions like the media and business. Others contend America has faced far more challenging periods and emerged strong. Leading policymakers, Bush Institute experts, and respected journalists take on this debate. Read about it at bushcenter.org catalyst. Hey, sports fans. My name is Ben Beacon. I'm the host of Locked On Wolves, the Minnesota Timberwolves podcast on the Locked On NBA Network. The Wolves might be in the middle of what's turned out to be a pretty miserable season, but there's still plenty to talk about. From the aftermath of the trade deadline to looking ahead at what moves Gerson Rosas and the front office might be planning for the summer to the possibility that all-star snub Carl Anthony Towns could go off on any given night, it's still going to be a fun spring. Tune into Locked On Wolves daily, Monday through Friday. I'm Ben Beacon with Locked On Wolves, and we'll catch you next time.